And uh, today we've got another Kenya podcast, another team member from this year, Josh Bulo. Um, what is Josh? Is he is he a kid or is he a young man? Uh, he's a young man for sure, but he's such a kid at heart. It's so much fun. He was our, our go-to um, entertain and play with kids guy on this trip. It was pretty awesome. Um, Josh is uh, he's a, a sophomore, junior, or something. I don't know. He's, he goes to school at Iowa State. <laughs> I can't remember what year he is in school. But um, yeah, it was his first trip uh, to Kenya. Uh, his mom went on a different trip. Uh, she had not been to the refugee camp, who I, I thought that she had for the longest time. Um, but he's got so a little bit of a connection there, and uh, wanted to experience the trip, and was awesome. Did a great job on the trip, and uh, well, you'll hear how uh, it kind of changed the way he thinks and feels and stuff. So, anyways, without further ado, let's uh, give it up for Josh. That's recording. It works. <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> How you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, good. I'm going to call you Aaron at least twice during this podcast. Yeah? <laughs> you, know <I> am. <laughs> you look a ton like him when he was in high school. Now, it's a good thing. he looks like he ate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean like in, in a body, body fat way. I mean, he's, he got huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He squats over 600 pounds. He's massive. Yeah. So he does a lot of steroids, I assume. That's probably it, right? <laughs> Naturally, of course. No. Yeah, obviously the steroids. No, he's just, he's doing it right. He's smart to work out young. Mm-hmm. Like, you're smart to learn languages young, because all that goes away as yeah. you get older. So so you're learning sign language. I am. Yep. Why? It's because I had to take an American heritage credit, and I don't like history very much. So I was like, I can do that with ASL, and I love languages anyway. So might be able to use it. You have to take an American heritage class. Yes. U.S. diversity. That's what it is. Iowa State says you need. Mm-hmm. Like what? Well, all <laughs> the rest of those. All the rest of those are covered by like high school stuff. But then the that was like the only one that wasn't. So I was like, all right. I like languages anyway. Let's do ASL. So you need some kind of college, like a history credit. This doesn't something, sound like a history it's credit. It's not at all history. It's U.S. diversity. So something with like U.S. and all the rest of the things that covered that were history. And I was like, ooh, I want to do ASL. That's cool. So, I've always thought that that'd be a good idea because like the odds of somebody not knowing sign language are pretty high. Mm-hmm. So you could be that guy in a grocery store like, I can help. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I got it's actually like a, it happened bike world too. Like I'm gonna, Oh, sure. It was before I took any ASL, so I wasn't able to help. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was a guy there. I was like, ah, all right, I'm going to – next year, I'll, I got you. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> you need a bike in about a year. Yeah, yeah, I got in a little fender bender with a guy. Um, nope, we didn't even we called the police just to do a report, but neither of us even put it into uh, insurance. So it was a super small fender bender, no damage on either car. It's weird. Okay, but um, he was deaf and mute, and so I wrote my phone number down, and then he texted his brother in Texas, who then called me on the phone. 
So like I had okay. to talk to his brother in Texas and try to describe to him what happened, and it was so awkward and yeah, yeah it would have been a lot better to know sign language. I bet. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'll get that good, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're just doing it for a credit, and then you're you're gonna be done. Um, in it's civil engineering, mechanical engineering. Mechanical. Yeah. I always get that wrong. Mechanical engineering. What is the difference? Uh, civil engineering designs and kind of builds that's more construction bridges and big structures and everything right mechanical engineers design like basically how you package electronics and anything that's needs to be designed in a strong way basically any it can tell you the force pressed on any object or the way that you need to design something so it can withstand different forces and how you can put that in a cost-effective package so and that's you're uh, aspiring someday to put things in boxes <laughs> or build bikes. That too. <laughs> okay. 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 Bu- building bikes but sounds better. Build bikes, design phones. <laughs> yeah. Basically ways that you can package technology into a smaller, cheaper way. Okay. But that's, that's a whole weird thing in and of itself. Cause like when I was, so when cell phones first came out, like I was old enough that first cell phone was like, cool. I got a cell phone and it was a, uh, just like a Snickers bar. They call them candy bar cell phones. Mm-hmm. And then they, the goal was to get them smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where it was a joke. Like on Saturday Night Live, this guy would open this tiny I've seen little, that one. <laughs> little feral one. Yeah. Yep. It's so <laughs> tiny because that's what's cool. And then it like turned around and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. Everybody wanted bigger, better screens. But the screen has to cover the whole phone too. Right. So, yeah. But it's this weird, like, what is the right size? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think this is, so this is a eight- and it's the larger eight, eight plus, whatever it is. And that's about too big. Yeah. Because if I'm holding it one hand, driving and texting, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I'm driving and texting, <laughs> it's really hard to get all the way across the buttons. But okay, so you want to put things in boxes or build bikes. Mm-hmm. When did you start getting into biking? Um, basically, since I was a kid, because my parents always took us biking. Okay. And then I had to fix my bike and I didn't want to pay for it. So I was like, I'm going to try and fix this myself. And I was able to. And then I just kept going with that. And then I built my own bike and I showed Bike World that. And I was like, give me a job. And they were like, all right. Built a bike like out of parts you ordered? Like I ordered most of the parts of a bike, not together, um, because the guy didn't have all of them and he didn't know how to put it together. He did a terrible job and I fixed it all. But and then I had to buy other parts to put on the bike and finish it. And then I was like, yes, this is my dirt jump bike. So nice. Yeah. So, but like you got it, because you, you, you bike, bike. You don't like just go to the ice cream shop. No, no, I, I, I regularly hit over sixty miles. So, uh, and do you yeah. do competitive stuff or not? Not yet. I really want to. Yeah, but I haven't done it yet. Have you so. done Ragbri? No, because as soon as I was going to do Ragbri, I got hired at Bike World, and so it was like, nope, you got to work then. You definitely like, can't <laughs> work during Ragbri or, or do Ragbri while working. Exactly. Bike exactly. World. Yeah, I did Ragbri when I was fourteen. Yeah. Maybe it was younger than that. Maybe it was, yeah, it was probably 14. Yeah, that's right. It was in Wisconsin at the time. Um, my my dad lived in Webster City for a while, so it was this big thing. And then my oldest brother did it when we were living in southern Minnesota. It was just real easy to zip down, do ragbri. And then okay. it just became this thing that my brother and I wanted to do it also. So we came down, and it was fun. Like I wouldn't say it was um, – I don't want to do it again. Yeah, I, have, I don't really have a desire to do it again. Other than it's kind of fun to camp and then there's like garbage food everywhere or like you're riding down. I remember like we'd, we'd ride down these streets and like some 
farm lady was standing at the end of her driveway in the middle of nowhere selling apple pie and it was phenomenal yeah. oh they make a killing off that yeah but do like yeah. 60 70 miles a day and gaining weight <laughs> because you're eating exactly nine pounds of pie oh. and garbage wow. every night it was yeah. great that's what i've been told that it's just like huge food fest across iowa yeah food and drinking but food and drinking but you don't even drink you're 21 I'm not 21. I'm You're not 20. 21. I just turned 20. Yep. Oh, that's the same thing. <laughs> At Iowa State, that's like 40. <laughs> See, but I'm a CA, so. Oh, you're a gotta CA? Be, gotta be a good example there, yeah. How'd you get to be a CA? Um, basically, I learned that you get free room, free board, and a lot of money for it. <laughs> and I was like, this is totally worth it. <laughs> and then, turns out, I like talking with a bunch of different people, too, so. How much work is it? It's uh, about 20 hours a week, but. Not terrible. That's for, that's significant, though. That yeah. I was thinking it was like five hours a week. No. I mean, you can pare it down to that if you get good at stuff, but it's... What do you have around. to do? Um, you have to do at least four hours of desk duty a week, and then you have to do a two-hour meeting, and then you have to program stuff for your floor to do. And you also have to be CA, CA on duty, which is where you carry the phone. If anybody has a problem in right. the whole building, then they tell you about it and you fix it. So. How often do you do that? It's like once a month? Um, once every two weeks, and then four weekends a semester. Okay. So. Yeah, that's way more. My my RA just like mopped up vomit. Oh, ooh. We, oh. There are RAs in that CA. We actually but. can't do that, thankfully. We're not allowed to anymore. So. He had to carry a deer, a dead deer, out of our dorm. Really? Yeah, it was a How whole... did that happen? <laughs> oh, this is such a fun story. I can't believe I didn't tell this story on the trip. All right. Um, so, let me see. start at the beginning. Middle, like more than the middle of the night, like two, three, four in the morning, sometime around then, um, there's a guy standing outside, just got done working security and he was smoking. Yeah. So he's just having a cigarette before he goes in and he walks upstairs and he just kind of sees taillights driving away and he sees the back of a pickup truck and he's like, that's kind of weird. Um, I think that's this guy's, we'll call him Dave. I think that's Dave's pickup truck. So he goes upstairs and there's a dead deer laying at the top of the stairs in the <laughs> dorm, laying there dead. And so they just, he then gets the RA and the RA is like from Chicago and doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, what do we do with this? And they go, Luke hunts deer. He'll know. Ooh. So they come wake me up and I'm like, it's dead. What do you want me to do? Give it CPR? <laughs> like it's, it's dead. They're like, well, how'd it get here? I don't know. Like I... This is outside the realm of hunting. This is finding. This is a different thing. So um, I was like, yeah, let's just drag it outside. It'll be fine. So, uh, and I work security. Mm. So me, the RA, and the security guard drag the deer outside. And then uh, the RA is now pissed off because there's blood everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's, he's just angry. And he's like, I'm going to kill whoever did this. And the one guy goes, I saw the back of the truck. It kind of looked like Dave's truck. So they go pounding on Dave's door and Dave is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You guys are crazy. And they're like, yeah, but you're getting written up because then we go out to his truck and there's deer fur and blood on it. So we're like, dude, we got you. You're nailed. And Dave's a friend of mine. I was like, this doesn't sound like him. And what a stupid thing to do. Like, this is moronic. So then um, the story gets better and better. (laughs) So then he's all worked up and upset. So, uh, in a weird kind of freshman in college move, (laughs) he calls his mom and is like, I'm getting written up. This is garbage. He's all just pissed off. And she's like, well, did you do it? And he goes, no. 
And she goes, well, then somebody must have stole your car or something. So she calls the the police. The police come and are like taking reports because he's like, I did not do it. I want this because he's it's probably going to be like $100 and yeah, whatever, clean the carpet. Um, And so all that's going on. And the, the police are like, so you're telling me that this deer was killed and moved. Well, like, well, obviously, I mean, it didn't walk. <laughs> it didn't open the door and go inside. So then they're like, this is actually a DNR thing. So they call the DNR. Yeah. The DNR oh comes out and the DNR is like, uh, this is poaching. This is a felony. And David, yeah, <laughs> David is now like, I swear I did nothing. <laughs> So this other dude, we'll call him Phil, because that's his name. Um, if Phil like <laughs> steps up and he's like, "Hey, uh, here's the thing. It was it was me. I, we were driving home from the bar. We saw a guy hit a deer, and just we thought it'd be funny to drag this deer up there. So we we didn't have a truck. So they came back. They knew Dave hung his keys in the same spot. Just like oh. opened the door real quiet, grabbed it, and, like it was right, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile down the road." Drove down, grab the deer, drive back, drag it up there, go park, put his keys back. Nobody's the wiser, wow. except for everybody's the wiser. <laughs> and I think Phil spent a little bit of time in jail for it. Wow. Never came back to school. Oh, man. Never heard from Phil again. Yikes. <laughs> I got to tell my residents that one. Be like, nope, don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was like, and like all of us were like, no, 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 no. This should just be like a hundred dollars and you got to clean some carpet. Yeah. And like all of a sudden people are going to jail or like, ah, <laughs> rewind, rewind backwards. And wow. Yeah. That one got away from us. Yeah. Whoops. Especially when the DNR got in. Like, That's a felony. Oh, yikes. <laughs> and I would have totally done something like that. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I believe that. Right. Totally it's not that. outside the room of possibility. Like, ah, this is a great idea. <laughs> Like, if I was in that vehicle, I'd be like, I'll do it. I'll gut it first, and we'll drag it up there. It'll be easier. Oh, man. Yeah, I learned a, I learned a lesson that day that sometimes um, sometimes a practical joke can end up putting you in jail. I mean, you drop out from college. Yeah, you got to figure out who you're messing with first. Yeah. And walk through it. Like, what could happen? Yeah, the police could come and the DNR and felony poaching. I'm going to be honest. Walking through it's no fun, though. Like, it really isn't. Yeah, you got to stop <laughs> thinking early. Yeah. <laughs> Just go. Do. More doing. Less thinking. Uh, so you were on the, on the trip this year. I was. Did you hear first? Did you hear about the church in Lodwar? Yes. Yes, I did. That is so exciting. And that trip? Oh, my goodness. That is... I can't believe that it was this trip that did it, too. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yep. So every, everybody um, who's listening doesn't know there's... A guy who lives in Lodwar, which is the middle of nowhere, um, we fly there in a bus because it lands and people get off and people get back on. It seems like a bus. Um, no, that's, well, that's the flight. It's an Eldorette where people stop. Anyways, um, that guy, that pastor has been working to get a church going for some time and just has no real resource or didn't get anywhere on it. And we've been working with him to go up to the refugee camp for the last three years. And this trip... There was just something about it where it caught, and we weren't even – we didn't go around Lodwar. No, not at all. It was it's, just him hanging out with us, getting some inspiration and some ideas, and figuring it out, connecting with people in Lodwar. Bam. Yeah. I mean, you got the church. notebook that you wrote him, too, and that, yeah. that was huge also. <laughs> but. Yeah. So there was – I mean, I, I do that every year. I take resources, but yeah. – 
um, this was the year and this was the stuff. And now there's a church and the church is Living Faith Lutheran Church Lodoir. That's pretty amazing. It's trippy. <laughs> it took every bit of restraint for me not to get on a flight and just go and be there because they, yeah. they just opened it up the first Sunday was this last Sunday. But yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it. So your first trip, um, what was what was your expectation? What did you think it was going to be like going? I expected it to be about as rough as it was. Um, so that wasn't as much of a shock as if I hadn't been told that it was going to be super rough. Um, but um, I I was not prepared for the whole evangelism part, to be honest. <laughs> like I came in and I was a part of your group the first day in Kakama 2. And we walked up and we were praying and everything. And then you're like, Josh, we like to share a word. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> I could probably do that. Yeah. And so it was just like on the fly. All right, here we go. So that, that totally threw me off guard and that was a good thing. I mean, uh-huh. it was like, cause that's, that's all you right there. Just kind of show them whatever God's going to show you. you yeah. Know? And, and you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's like that thing in your brain is like, I could never do that. But yeah, then when I say do it, you're like, oh yeah. crap, <laughs> exactly. I'm doing this. I've never done like evangelism before other than like in some homeless shelters, which isn't much. Um, and so it was like, I, I have no clue what I'm doing. But then, I don't know, it's, they, they appreciate whatever we had to say. And they, they were like, thank you for coming. Thank you for remembering us. Yeah. That was, that was one of the things that surprised me most, that it wasn't the tangible things we brought. It was that we were there for them and that we would remember what they told us and that yeah. they were going through everything. So. Yeah. And that's the difference between like a, a homeless shelter. You know, you, you're usually kind of working with tangible stuff and you do a little bit of, you know, God loves you and I'm going to mm-hmm. pray for you. And, yeah. and they're like, thanks, that's great. But this is like full on talk about Jesus, talk about salvation. Are you connected to a church? Do you have a community? And yeah. and it's it's the real deal. So I, I call this the real mission trip. And it's not a service project. Yeah. There's a difference. Uh, I think a lot of people do service projects and call them mission trips, and those are important. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad people do them. This is different. Yeah, so. it's a different kind of support. For yeah. Sure. What do yeah. you think about the camps? I I really like Calo Bay, to be honest. Like that was my favorite. Yeah. When we had the the meeting with all the men at the end of that day, that was the most eye opening thing for me because of the whole leadership thing you were talking about. Mm-hmm. How I was like the, all these people there. They all know the situation there, obviously. And it took you talking about leadership and that they're the leaders for them to understand that, like, we can do this. We yeah. can we can make change happen in Calo Bay. So that was my favorite part of the camps probably was the, the meeting with the men in Calo Bay. And you can see the light bulb go on. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. They were sitting around the circle and they were like, that's us, really? Like, we, we could do that? And it's like, yeah, you're the leaders. You're the leaders of this church. So... They just needed somebody like outside to say to them, this is you. Yeah. Like they needed that affirmation. And if you think about it, like if, if there's nobody to say who is the leader, it's a little presumptuous to think it's you. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, to have some people from America who are leaders in their church to say, no, you are the leaders. We affirm it. Go yeah. and do it. Especially when it's like a community based system. It's like kind of mm. self-centered to step up and be like, all right, I'm leading this. This is me. But and normally it would be elders and, and there would be this like training up, um, you know, training really just this natural process of you getting older and going up, but there's no, there, there's no elders of their tribe of their family there. Yeah. I mean, it's all a smattering. There. Yeah. 
So what are you going to do? Who's going to tell him they're a leader? Yeah. Obong was there for sure. He was stepping up. Dude was awesome. Love Obong and Bravo too. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. You said, you said you saw him the time before and then yeah. he was like kind of a kid then. Yeah. And he's really stepped up. So that's fantastic. <laughs> I love Bravo. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. And just like that look on his face of excitement and yeah. let's go tell people about Jesus. <laughs> yes. Hurry we're up. making stuff happen for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be a rock star. I, I would guess he ends up um, in line for pastoral training. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it. he's got, I, I just don't know if he's got the English for it, but it seems like it. Oh, yeah. He, he had very good English. Yeah. I was impressed. Yeah. He seemed comfortable speaking in English. So. Yeah. Anything about the, the camp that surprised you, like the way they live or do stuff or? Um, I mean, I was kind of surprised with how like free reign the kids are. They go wherever they want, whenever they want, and the parents don't really do too much about it. Um, and the dogs surprised me, but that's a smaller thing. So. <laughs> the dogs? Yeah. What about the dogs? How, like, they just don't care about the dogs at all. I mean, you guys told us that, and it makes sense because they don't have enough food to feed the dogs, but it was like, they'd just be walking by and just smack it in the head. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah, lower than but, goats. Yeah. <laughs> less less important than goats. I've <laughs> seen people whip rocks at them. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the, the most surprising thing, though, is as we were going through the camps, everyone that we talked to seemed pretty hopeful. I mean, right? yeah. I mean, even the kids that were like yelling, Mzungu from the side and everything. They were, <laughs> they were happy to see us. They were, they were enjoying themselves. Yeah. Which really surprised me with how little they had. So. Well, and, and we are an, an enjoyable thing. Like, yeah, So sure. they're excited because this is new. We don't get to see Mzungu, and there yeah, we yeah. are. It's like a carnival coming to town. It really is. I call it the Mzungu parade. Yeah, yeah. It totally is. We got our procession of three cars. It's just going through. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the kids are interesting because you're right. They, they just, they're everywhere, and then they just, they just come out of the woodwork and start to get closer and pile in. And I love the kids. They're so much fun. Yeah, and there was zero language barrier. You just jumped up and down and ran in circles. Exactly. And then they yeah. did too. Exactly. It's so much fun. You just do stuff with them, and they have a great time with it. So. Yeah. Yeah, you got a, you got a natural uh, natural talent with kids. Thank you. But that makes sense. You got two little sisters. Two little sisters. We play together a lot, yeah. So. Uh, they're not so little anymore. No, they're not. Just still, crazy. They're still little enough I can throw them. <laughs> <laughs> but you're kind of a stout guy, so they're going to be like 20 and you're throwing them. <laughs> getting bigger, that's for sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, Justice at, like grew four inches this summer, something crazy. It's, I mean, she just looks so really tall. tall. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, the, the kids with hope in their eyes and even like you don't run into too many adults who are just like without hope. No. They still have like they're hurt, they're sad, they have sorrow. But they just have this like hope for return or hope for yeah. something. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't hope to like immigrate into um, Kenya or anything like that ever. It was hope of I want to see my family again that's back in my country. I want the war to end so I can go back home. Yeah. I don't know. That's that was a struggle for me because for a lot of them, thinking realistically, like this is gonna be your home now. You're when we were in Kakuma One and there were people there from 1996. Mm-hmm. It was like this. You kind of got to make this your home. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they're ever gonna go back to South Sudan, and it won't be the same if they do. No. So. No, and where they live in used to live in South Sudan, someone's been living there since 1996. Yeah. So it's whole new, and and who knows how involved they were in in any of this. But it's like this whole displacement of people. It's um, it's complicated, and it it kind of shapes and, and forms the way I think about refugees, just in general. My my impression and idea of refugees, I think, is uh, well, 
how how do you think it's different um, people in the U.S. when they think about refugees versus what you experienced? When people think of refugees in the U.S., or at least what I used to think of when I thought of refugees in the U.S., it was people who are leaving their country because there's some kind of war and then they're going to live in a country for a little while and then the war will be over and they'll move back. And so um, I guess I didn't think too much about what their role was in society, um, mm-hmm. but it seems like they don't really have much of a role in society. And that's the concerning part. Well, and it, there's, so. there's blocks to it because, well, in, in Kakama, it's... I mean, obviously, the, there isn't a society, right? I mean, yeah. it's nowhere. <laughs> so I mean, there is, but it's like here, refugees here, I just got this huge argument with a guy at a bar. Um, good friend of mine, fortunately, so there was no... Yeah. But i um trying to help him understand the difference between immigrants and refugees. Oh, yeah, that's that's very different. And, and I think most Americans kind of lump that together as people from other places who are here now. Oh, yeah. And they don't get it. Like, there's a difference. I mean, I guess what I've always thought of was that when I think of refugees, I think Syrian refugees in Europe. And then when I think of immigrants, I think of people immigrating from Mexico to the U.S. usually. Yeah. And so those are total, two totally different things for me. That's why I've never really grouped them together. But I could totally see what you're saying. Where it's yeah. just people moving from one country and putting themselves in another one. Right. And so. especially with the, the crisis on our border right now, people hear refugee in the, in the same kind of tone as people sneaking across the border as illegal immigrants. Yeah. And now this kind of turns into one mush. But, I, I mean, the, the key difference is immigrants are looking to move here. Mm, they want it. Yeah, and they're selling land and they're moving away from places, coming here to start a new life. Mm. Immigrants have been uprooted, put here. And refugees. And or refugees, yeah. sorry. Are trying to get back. Yeah. They want to go home. Yeah, they don't want to be where they're at. Yeah. Which is really sad because it's like you could have a community here, it seems. At least in Kakama 1, it seemed like they would be able to have a community with their neighbors. They're right there. Uh But they they just wanted a community with their friends back home, with their family back home. Yeah. And that was the other thing that surprised me a lot was like they have almost nothing. But they still have cell phones because they want to be able to connect with people. And I was right. like, whoa, you will sacrifice food to have a cell phone? That That's mind-boggling to me. But connection is huge for them. Yeah. And so it has another part of the culture shock for sure. And and cell coverage is awesome. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's so cheap. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. Yeah, it was that, that was the biggest thing. Like, why are you doing this? But it's like, because we want to know how our family is back home. Mm-hmm. And not many of them could connect, but and you know. and you can see the the differences of the camp, and we're hoping to have so Cali Bay being as new as it is, um, we've got churches in there early in its history. I mean, it's only yeah. been around for a few years. Where in um, in the older Kakama camps, we're trying to get churches into it, but the idea is still the same, which is trying to pull those communities together in church. Mm. So that's that's a huge place for people from different faith or different backgrounds, I should say, different tribes and ethnicities to try and connect together. Yeah. Um, but then you get that language barrier, and you've got so much struggle there. But if if we if we can reinforce English, would be, I mean, that'd be huge for them to be able to come together in English. Yeah. But yeah, that's very true. Because I mean, then if they did eventually immigrate into Kenya, they'd be able to get a job there and actually speak the language. But, yeah. But they could also connect. And that's that's another thing I was thinking about. I didn't know that Kakuma didn't have churches 
earlier, mm-hmm. that, but it's great that Kala Bay is growing up around a church. Right. Because, I mean, I, I kept a bit of a journal throughout the whole trip mm-hmm. and everything. And one of the things I was thinking was like, in the beginning, as the same as what I told everyone was thinking, was like, kind of, what, what are we doing? I mean, we're not, we're not doing anything tangible. So like, <laughs> what are we doing here? But then I saw that people are starting to come around the church and it's like, this community is going to last after we're gone. Right. And so if we can get them to have their community centered around the church, like what's happening in Calo Bay, that is what's going to actually last. And that's oh, yeah. going to matter. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that they're having like a church centered yep. refugee camp in Calo Bay. You know, remember even like when we were in Kakuma, that new church um, for Jesus. Yes. <laughs> for <If> you, Jesus <laughs> church. That was great. Awesome. <laughs> um, think about the, the layout of, of where they're having church right now with that tree and all that kind of stuff. Now mm-hmm. you want to build a church building. Yeah. I mean, you have to knock stuff over, which is mm, it's mud. You can probably knock it over pretty easy, but like still it's people's homes, it's people's homes. It's like deconstruction and then um, new construction. And I mean, there's just, but, but in Calio Bay, it's so open. We're just going to make this square of dust a church and then houses will come up around it. Mm-hmm. And it'll it'll look like some of our older towns in the U.S. where, you know, we came and a lot of uh, immigrants to the U.S., you know, the, the original immigrants built churches first, churches and schoolhouses. Yep. And the town, you drive to small town Iowa and you come over the hill and there's the church right in the middle of town. Yeah. And everything grew out from there. Yep. That's going to be Calio Bay versus this is like, you know, trying to plant a church in a suburb and. Yeah. Having to like knock over your neighbor's house. (laughs) Yeah. There wasn't much room for it in Cockamine. No. Very true. No, not at all. Yeah. You struggled with that a little bit, trying to, trying to get your head around. I totally did. did. (laughs) (laughs) A few of those debriefing nights, I was like, guys, come on, we can do something. Like, no, you don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that was, that was frustrating. That was really frustrating. I know. So I was like, man, there's stuff we could do. That was where the culture shock really messed with me because- I was thinking if if they have the the mindset of a Westerner, then they would kind of understand what we're trying to do with helping one church at a time. Yeah. But we can't do that. And so that that was what messed with me the most. Yeah. It it seemed from what I saw in Calo Bay that from what I make at Bike World, I'd be able to supply them with what they need to build like their own community and business and around the church just Mm -hmm. for Calo Bay from my Bike World like salary. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it seems like we could do stuff for him. And it really frustrates me that we can't. Right. <laughs> so, so that's that's where the whole not giving tangible things, not having a service project, but instead of having the missionary, like the, the mission go is much more helpful. And I, I can see that now. Yeah. That it's the community that we build that's much more important. Yeah. Well, and that's so. the thing is it's lasting. I mean, that, you know, the, the conversation um, – started in Cali Bay, we, we debriefed on a little bit, just, you know, buying the motorcycle. Yeah. And that's, that is in fact, putting a burden on them because now they have to put gas in it. And, yeah. you know, yeah, we could, we could try and figure out some kind of, you know, this person rides and gives rides and that pays for gas. Okay. But then there's maintenance. Well, do this, this, and this, and then it's probably going to get stolen or it's going to get, uh, you know, somebody's going to smash it or somebody's going to get hit by a car. And then all that they've, they've built up this dependency on that income now goes away. Yeah. Now there are churches that have been built, but have no pastor. And it's like, this isn't fair. Why do we not have a pastor? Mm -hmm. We were trying to pay for it with the motorcycle that got stolen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it is, 
Um, I remember where I was standing when I was, I was like doing the same thing you were doing with Carl Gaelic and, and a few others. Like we can figure this out. Like look at our church and we'll just go and we'll assess the situation, figure out the problems and then we'll fix them. Exactly. Yeah, that, <laughs> like, that's the way my brain works. Like I see a problem. We have these options. They can work, but it's no, yeah. because I think I come at it from Western mindset. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that would work in the Western culture, but it just won't with the way that things are set up in society over there. Yeah, so. especially because it's it's important for them to take ownership of it too yeah. and, and not have it just be this, you know, the the white messiah complex where we go over there and because we feel better because yeah. we fixed it. And that's I mean, that's not our it wasn't my heart. I know that wasn't your heart uh, on the trip, but it, that's what kind of becomes the the spirit of the trip over time yeah. as we go solve problems. Yeah, it gets ugly. Yeah, it, it still bothers me. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm getting closer to accepting that there's not much that can be done there. They have to be able to do it the way they're going to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. If it's going to last. Yeah. If it's going to last. And it's the, the size, like, I've over time, it's not that I've gotten over it or better with it, but it's like then I start to think about, well, even the – the government, they need to get their poop in a group because, <laughs> like, if we got things kind of fixed, there would be government, corrupt government officials, the police, they'd start taking advantage of the stuff that we were doing there. In the refugee camps? For sure. Wow. For sure. They find out that these Americans are uh, giving out bicycle or uh, motorcycles and doing these things where they're equipping people, we'd get pulled over a lot more. Oh, yeah, I believe that. I believe that for sure. <laughs> uh-huh. And then, you know, these government officials would say, I'm not sure that you could continue this work for less than $10,000 in my pocket. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's so disappointing. It, it, and that's like the, the government has to be transformed. Yeah. And that that's something that, again, the, the Kenyan people are working on. There's elections and... I mean, they're they're moving in that direction of getting it less and less corrupt, but man, yeah, corruption holds on tight. Well, I mean, Nairobi's a little more westernized, so it's possible that we could actually do stuff there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But I don't I don't know what that is yet. I'm just now thinking about it. So yeah, Nairobi's an interesting one because they have all the resource in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's there are millionaires, um, Kenyan millionaires, all over in Nairobi. Really? Super rich. Okay. Yeah, uh, we saw some of the big houses. Uh-huh. Man. <laughs> right next to the slums, too. Mm-hmm. That's... So we go in to do work in the slums when there's people with the means there to do it. Yeah. Not doing it. I mean, I guess that's kind of what does it say about the country, but then we can still do what we can do. Tell yeah. people, you know? So. Oh, yeah. It, it That won't reflect well on the people in Nairobi. But I mean, it still seems like we should do the good that we can do. Yep. So yeah, the the only the the only concern then is that, that same sort of a thing. Like, oh, we start doing this, and then those people start taking advantage of the stuff yeah. we're trying to do. And that's true. Yeah, it's it's a slow. I was in my head um, things like this and in and other church stuff in general. I. I'm a bit like you, and I, I like to work hard, see results, mm-hmm. and then change goals, keep moving. Yeah. But this, I imagine, is just pushing a huge boulder up a hill. 
and you'll never get to the top before you die. But someone else will be behind right. you. They can keep pushing. Right. It's just uh, an I inch what you're saying there. at a time, an inch at a time. And you just you want to be smart so you don't push it in a way that it rolls back two feet. And you got to push it up again. But that's yeah. that's the speed of church. That's a really good way of saying it. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. But that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very right on that. Wow. slowly 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 yeah yeah i guess frustrated because i mean that's that's the kind of guy you are is you, you work hard you see results change your goals rinse repeat yeah exactly get it done make stuff happen but when you need everyone to make stuff happen it's mm-hmm. like oh it takes a while to get people moving mm-hmm. so yeah but that seems to be happening in the camps it so, is yeah it is the the boulder has moved uphill and behind that, we see churches that are kind of bolstering it and more leaders stepping up and more people taking ownership. And yeah, it's it yeah. is. And there's so much there's so much opportunity there that is just really important. And, and, and it's all of that is the reason we go. And then there's the other side of that is everybody we take with us comes back different. And that has an effect here. That's very true. So. That's the question. So for you, uh, how do you see things differently or how, how have you changed coming back from this thing? I've definitely changed in that I understand that not everybody works the way that I do. For sure. <laughs> it's still really hard to... Man, I like working the way I work. But, but I mean, it's it's definitely made me think about the way that we treat relationships in our society versus material things. Um, because they do kind of have it right with, um, valuing relationships so much. I mean, I think they do it a little too far personally. (laughs) (laughs) People aren't that great. I mean, they're okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was, it was one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, it's fantastic that they value relationships to the extent that they do. They will have somebody there for them no matter what, which is amazing. Um, if they could just lessen it a little bit so that they can get enough savings to do stuff get something done yeah exactly exactly then that'd be like perfect but but they definitely are onto something with the whole we care about people more than anything else yeah so bringing that back for sure that it's i guess whenever i'm doing something it's like is it focused on the person or is it focused on what i'm trying to do and Mm -hmm. if it's not as focused on the person then it's like what am i really accomplishing here you know right so I guess I can't really give a specific example with that, but it's just kind of a mindset where it's oh, yeah. like, I, I'm doing things for people now instead of doing things to get stuff done. Right. So that's a huge shift and it, it will serve well, you know, as, as you try and, um, as you get older, um, get married, start a family, all that kind of stuff, just to have that lesson of focusing on getting stuff done, but also having that relationship with family. I mean, I, I know the Bulos pretty well. It's, it's not like you guys don't have an awesome family, <laughs> but that's, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah. mean, you guys value each other a ton and that's why we've got such a tight, cool family. Yeah. We definitely sacrifice for each other. For yeah. Sure. But that to, to see that people live differently is cool. Cause I think a lot of people go to like Europe, but they do like America, Europe. Yeah, it's totally different. (laughs) America, Europe is like, here's what you want to see. I'll show it to you. Yeah. It's not like, this is how we are. This is some of how we live. It's not, you can't draw anything from it. It's just what you want to see if you go touristing. Yeah. When when we went on our honeymoon, was our honeymoon? Yeah, went to Cancun and I had never been there. I'd been on a couple of mission trips and stuff and we get to Cancun and I went, oh, 
You mean America. <laughs> <laughs> it's just America with pesos. Like, that's all it is. That's what I've heard, yeah. It's just, it's so absolutely 100%. Um, and and everybody who works there, they're they're all Mexican, but they all learn English. They're they're very good, and they just know how to do everything like an American would do it for you. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And I was like, well, this is not Mexico. Yeah. Other than the food was Mexican, it was really delicious. Well, even the food is like the resort we stayed at was yeah. like American Mexican. Oh man, I could totally see where they were doing that. They were doing that with restaurants in Nairobi too. Uh-huh. <laughs> that burger ad. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? The first well, one? both of them. Or the <laughs> It's huge. So much food. Did <laughs> how much was it? Like two pounds? Total? It was yeah, yeah, because it was eight quarter pound patties. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, you you did well on that bet. I was impressed. <laughs> I was just so excited. How was the flight? Like, did you want it? It wasn't die? that bad. Okay. It wasn't as bad as it was. Really bad for like an hour or two afterwards, and then things settled down. <laughs> You had a good game face. We're in the car, and you're like, no, I'm fine. I was like, he's got to be hurting. He's got to be hurting. Oh, yeah, I was I was full, for sure. Yeah, two pounds of meat and those two giant burgers. And there was, like, and extra fries. buns, too, I wasn't it? And the fries, too. Yeah, and the fries. Yep. And a milkshake. Yep. It was a lot of food. Uh, it was great. <laughs> totally worth the $45. Oh, yeah. Definitely worth it. You must have felt awful. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite part is when Keith bet you that you couldn't do it in 20 minutes. I was like, the second he's done, I'm doubling down on this thing. <laughs> second he's done. <laughs> oh, when he said 20, I was like, oh, I got that. Easy. Just super easy. Yeah, I thought that was a yeah. bit long. And that one was easy. But mm-hmm. then the second one in 15, I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. <laughs> This one's going to be harder. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Oh, so much fun. Oh, yeah. That was a good time. And that's, again, the weird thing is, like, you, you end up having fun on these trips. Oh, where, totally. Where, yeah. like, so much of it isn't any fun. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I had a great time. <laughs> this is best vacation ever. Oh. Certainly not a vacation, but. No. Yeah. But it's, like, but, me- it's a meaningful time. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, in, it's, in, in times like that, you get to know your team a lot better. Yeah. And that was one of the things I really valued from this trip was that I, I really felt like I got to know everybody when I didn't before. So. Yeah. Yeah. We were all bummed. Like we got together on Saturday and you weren't able to make it. Yeah. But well, it was fun. Being in college is a thing. Stupid college. I know. Just put that off. Stupid. Do that later. Just like, do online, you know? Just do online. You're like, like, yeah, that's fine. You got a phone. <laughs> <laughs> you figure it out. Of course Kenya's more important. You know? <laughs> what am I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything, anything, any moment of the trip really stand out? Like so with the, the men after that meeting, anything else is a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I guess the, the story that hit me the hardest was this one girl in Kakama one. Um, she was there from South Sudan with her mom and her sister. And she, we were asking her like, um, how are you doing and everything? Is there anything that's troubling you? And she was like, yeah, my dad is fighting on the front lines of suit of South Sudan right now. Jeez. And I don't know if he's alive or dead. And she just started, she just broke down in front of us. And so oh. it was like, yeah, that, that one really hit home. Cause it was like, wow, not only like, is your dad gone? You don't know if he's alive or not. So every day you're thinking like, I hope he's okay. Is he going to, am I ever going to see him again? Yeah. And that, that one really got me. So, and even <clears throat> just like, imagine trying to figure out if, so he lives, but let's say, their cell phone is broken to get a different number mm-hmm. or his cell phone is broken, a different number. Um, how is he going to find them? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's literally an entire 
continent to search. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, yeah. Stories like that were just like, wow, is there any other hope than the church? I mean, right. the church is the only community you're going to have now. Yeah. So, And the, the great reuniting at the resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's another yeah. huge one is, I mean, that, that guy might fall in battle in some place in the middle of nowhere. They never find his remains. Um, just disappears. No record of him ever living or dying. I like that thought, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And, you know, he's got kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those kids will have kids and there won't be any connection. But the resurrection. Yeah. They've all got that. That's yeah. true. That's the that is that great hope of someday we get to see each other again and and meet each other for the first time. Mm-hmm. Maybe I get to meet some of them again. That'd be cool. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm so ecstatic about that. Yeah. You know, we're gonna be all at the resurrection together. Be like, ah, this is great. And then you know, these people come up and say, you know, and it could be a thousand years after we die. People come up and say, yeah, my my great 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 grandpa was Bravo. Wouldn't that be cool? I want to meet those kids. (laughs) Right? I want to meet those kids. (laughs) How cool would that be? And it's, you know, you you can just kind of draw these connections of um, the church having this long history and impact um, that goes so far beyond us. Yeah. That's where you can kind of see that the connection is more important than any tangible thing you're giving. Mm -hmm. Because the, the connection with the group and with everyone in the Christian community is much more valuable than like giving them enough food for a month or anything right. like that. It's like that, that's the stuff that they're going to remember and it's going to change them. It's not going to be like, yeah. they give us food and now it's gone. It's like, no, you, you evangelized to me. You brought me to the church. Like, yeah. You gave me a community. Yeah. That, that is what is going to stick with them. And so, and, and we hope to get to that spot where the, the churches have enough members where if everybody, when they have a little extra, if they can give, and then that can be used for everybody else in the church who doesn't have any in a, in a mm-hmm. certain... Because there's always those times when somebody's got a little bit of extra time to go work to make money and give a little bit to the church, and then somebody else falls ill, and you know all they have are their rations, and it's not enough. Or they even miss water. Like That's the one that terrifies me, is, is you get sick and you can't go get water. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have no one to take care of you... that. You saying that the church could be the the supporting group there mm-hmm. really makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. I remember the story we were talking about where there was an old lady and um, she wasn't able to she had a kid and her husband died and she wasn't able to either go get food or care for her kid one of the two mm-hmm. and we were like well why don't you just ask your neighbors like this is a, a a community right and and she was like no if they help me once they have to help me for the rest of their lives and so it's like yeah you can't put that all on one person but if you put that on the church. The church could be there. Right. And that's that we've seen that happen before. There's um, um, in John Jock's church. It's such a bummer. We didn't get there on Sunday to, to watch this. But when they worship, they will also have they'll have an offering mm-hmm. and people put in just just a little bit of money. Yeah. And then they have a, a grain offering where people take whatever rations they didn't quite need that month or yeah. that week. They bring it up and they just put it in this sack and they like a grain of rice will fall and they'll pick up the grains of rice. And you, you see these little kids, you know, putting a little bit of food in at a time and this bag fills up and then that's kept by the pastor and the elders mm-hmm. and somebody falls ill. They have a little bit extra food just to um, 
get them, and there's, there's just never enough food. And if you're sick, you need a few extra calories to help you get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got it. That's good. It's, I'm glad that they have an institution for that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's why it's got to be built around the church. Yeah, like right. A community for everybody. Right. That's why I love it. And it's there's there's no other organization that does that anywhere, much less in Kakama. I mean, the UN's not doing it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. They're giving food to everybody, but it's like there's just so many mouths to feed. Yeah. I mean. They give food to everybody, but not enough. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know how much more they could do, but like they're doing a, a good job with what they have. But I mean. I'm going to burst your bubble. They're not. They're not? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, this always, my big revelation years ago was, I thought the UN was like a place, like a big compound where they train up people to be UN people and then they go and they do UN stuff. Yeah, you stuff. said that in your Keith interview a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it's a pile of money and then they, they give it to Kenya and, and they say, do good thing at a refugee camp with this. Who in Kenya handles that money? The government. Oh, right. I don't like that. Right? That's bad. <laughs> Who else would you give oh, it to? Man. You should go and give it to the people. That's how. Right? The oh. UN should go and do UN stuff? No, they just give a pile of money. And so, let, so you know, they take, oh, this is good, but I'm going to take a little bit here. And then they give it to the next, you know, middle manager. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll get mm. the the stuff and the people organized and, and the police force and, and the food. But I'm going to take a little bit here. So that money that should be plentiful to run a refugee camp with plenty of food and all of that, a little bit's taken, a little bit's taken, a little bit's taken. And so they get about a thousand to 1200 calories a day. Yeah. And it's crap calories too. It was the other problem instead of enough. I didn't know that the UN even had enough money to give them enough. I thought it was like they didn't have enough and they were giving what they could. No. <sighs> and government Man. bureaucracy. Kenyan government is disappointing. Yeah. I don't like that. I know. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's honestly the way it is everywhere. Almost everywhere the UN does this kind of stuff, yeah. that's the way it works. And and to be fair, like in the US, um, FEMA is not a highly efficient, well-oiled machine. That's true. We had those that debacle after Katrina with the trailers that were full of formaldehyde mm-hmm. and stuff because they got the cheap trailers instead of the... Oh, yeah. Uh, people were getting sick. Um, that's just... That's, again, that's the, the, the institution that can do this well. It doesn't mean it always does it well is the church because the church ought to be benevolent and not looking to take a little bit. Yeah. If your pastor's skimming a little off the plate, you got problems. <laughs> like you got, this isn't a church problem. It's that that guy is an asshole problem. <laughs> that's, very true. Yeah. that's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, it's good that the church is direct too. It's like, these are the people you're going to be helping. Mm-hmm. If you take some, you know who you're taking it from. Right. So it's not just blindly taking money. It's like, they'll be fine. I think nope. of that. Dude, I think of that. It's funny you say that. It, if I waste money, which everybody every, every now and then is like, eh, I'm just going to spend a, I spent $150 on an air compressor yesterday and I did not need to. Um, okay. And it didn't cross my mind yesterday. But something like that on occasion, I'll think, that's money that people at Living Faith gave to the church. Oh. That goes to my checking account. So there's like pressure on okay. that. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> It's weird. It's like, do I really need this? Would the people of Living Faith be happy I'm spending their money? This is my money. Shut up. <laughs> you deserve it. You deserve I it. do. I deserve a raise. <laughs> Talk to your mom. She's on council. Is she? All right. <laughs> you didn't know your mom's on council? I didn't even know. Nope. 
I've been sucked into college. That's yeah. I guess you're indeed. Yeah, that's um, that's unfortunate. Um, that that works that way. I've actually um, I haven't really talked about this much. I've been kicking around a little bit with Keith Troy, thinking about to to bring awareness to um, the plight of refugees in Kakima, refugees in general, and um kind of the shortfalls of the UN and how things should be better mm-hmm. by kind of going public and doing a refugee diet for 60 days. Okay. Living like a refugee. Living like a refugee. I won't sing the song, I promise. <laughs> um, and just, just limiting, and not only just limiting the calories, but even mm-hmm. eating those types of calories. Yeah. And going off the right thing all the time. Sorghum. Not only is it not enough calories, it's always the same thing. Too. And it's, yeah. And I was, I was going to talk to my doctor, get blood work done, and then just kind of set up these regular, see what happens to my body. Yeah. 60 days living like a refugee. Nice. See what that, really happens to that me. That would not go well for me. I know that. <laughs> I need like 3,500 calories to maintain weight. I was at like 1,200. Bad things would happen. Yeah. I'd be passing out in the middle of class. <laughs> well, and that's, that's my, one of my, the reason why I haven't really decided if I want to do it is because I always feel like even when I'm fasting and stuff in Lent, uh, I never fast on Sunday. I usually try and come out of my fast on Saturday evening because I feel like I owe living faith to be better than that on a Sunday. Okay. Uh, I can't just be like, (laughs) that's fair. Uh, Jesus loves you or whatever. (laughs) Tired. (laughs) I haven't eaten in weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I, I haven't, haven't fully and like how, how to how to get that out because it I, I don't want to do it just to to ha- accomplish something I want to have people in the community know this is what happens. Who are you targeting with that? That would make change. Um, so this is where it gets a little bit more crackpot. So one of the one of the things a refugee can do um, is during those those daylight hours that the time when they're free to move about. They can go work in the community around them. They can they can go work for Turkana people, or it's a bit of a track, but yeah, yeah, you know, small small jobs mm-hmm. and earn a little bit for food, or even like swap a little bit of day labor for a chicken. Mm-hmm. So um, let everybody in my my neighborhood know that I'm doing this, and that it would I would appreciate opportunities to do manual labor for food. Okay. I like this idea. Yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. Um, so I have to like in advance set up um, the social media websites and, and everything, make it a way. And, and to be clear, like this does not mean I get your mail and I get a chicken breast. Like this means I shovel your driveway in the winter. I get a chicken breast. Yeah. So because then it turns into this. I'm going to burn 600 calories shoveling a driveway for a $400 chicken breast. 400 <laughs> calorie, calorie, calorie chicken, chicken breast. We're <laughs> <laughs> <Is it worth laughs> actually thinking about this now. Yeah, I got some things to iron out there and figure yeah. out if it's worth doing and, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, if you can get the right people watching, mm-hmm. I think that could really bring attention for sure. And and to do it a few times and, and have a few opportunities and, and like keep everybody posted. Here's what my blood work says. Here's, you know, weight loss. Here's what's going on with me. Get people following me, paying attention. If that can get just enough traction to go, you know, semi or fully viral and people hear about it and know about it and and get interested in it. They definitely could. I mean, 
that that's a day-to-day thing that you could always post on and then people would know how terrible it is to live on 1200 calories a day right i mean man, that is nothing i, <laughs> I would waste away with 1200 calories <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> thanks yeah, and it's, the other side of it is a little bit selfish. So, like, I've, I've actually put on a ton of weight. I'm 30, almost 35 pounds up yeah. from the, the trip. Um, I, a, a fair amount of that is muscle, but I'm, I'm trying to get to that, that deadlift goal. Yes. And I got to put weight on to get to it. So, I feel like a garbage can right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, fat and tired and oily because I eat just, like, protein like crazy. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying You're gonna to. You're going to make it, though. You're going to make it. I think so. Yeah. On paper, I should be able to do it. Okay. But that's different than doing it. <laughs> very, different, very different from doing it. Yeah. So we're, I'm, I'm on pace to get it done, but I want to push a little bit further. I, I gave myself until my birthday, which is November 14th. So I've got a fair amount of time left to work towards it. Okay. So I think I'm going to get there, but oh, the sooner I can get done with it and then just be done and over. But like that's that would be you know, doing that diet would mean I would probably lose 30, 40 pounds of muscle. Yeah. Cause I bet I would lose 50 pounds in 60 days. You would, you would lose a lot of weight. Yeah. It's so just from the research I've done, if you do a deficit of 500 calories a day every week, you will lose half a pound. I want to say yeah. or a pound. And that's a much bigger deficit for you than 500 uh-huh. calories from maintenance. So uh-huh. you'll be losing a ton of weight. Uh-huh. I'd have to give up, pretty much give up working out for 60 days. Yeah. Be burning too many calories. Yeah. No, no lifting weights. Yeah. No. I mean, it's like, it's it, it would impact my family enough that I'd have to really kind of think about it. Yeah. But I mean, if you get the right people watching, that would, that would bring attention. Could. Definitely. It could be a big deal. I don't know. But. All right. Anything else from the trip you want to talk about? Um, We pretty much already covered the whole culture thing, so. That was that was a big thing I wanted to hit on. I was like, it's not the same. We can't do tangible stuff. <laughs> and we tried to tell everybody. Like, oh, you, told, you tried to tell me. You tried to tell me multiple times. You got a feeling. And then I was like, no, nah, I can totally make this happen, guys. It will work. <laughs> Like, no, it won't. Yeah. It's like when we have those meetings, I'm always like, you know, it's important to tell people these things, but I get back to, you also just kind of got to jump out of the plane and deal with it and discover, you know, you're all prepared. And then you're like, I'm not prepared for this. I I totally felt prepared until I was like, I got this great idea, guys. And you guys were like, no, it's not going to (laughs) work. So I was like, "Mm, that's what they meant. Okay. Yeah. That's no fun, but. Uh, I know. It's hard. It's a, it's a different way to live mm. and it's okay. You know, I mean, it's not okay that people are hungry and stuff, but yeah. that, that culture is who's to say that, that we're better or worse. It's just, we're Americans and they're not. Yeah. It's materialism versus caring more about relationships. Yeah. So, but I mean, the fact that I felt so strongly about that really put it into my head that like, this matters, this is important. We need to keep doing this. So you were passionate about it. Oh, big time. I was like, guys, <laughs> I know I'm right on this one. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, and then like Mutai and, and the and the others from New were kind of jumping. I'm like, eh, it's probably not going to work. I'm like, they're Kenyans are saying it's not going to yeah, work. Mutai was pretty quiet. But then I was asking Scotch and Joffrey pretty mm-hmm. directly. And they were like, no, no, it's not going to happen that way. And then and then you gave out the examples about how when people have tried before and it just crashed and burned because the churches jumped all over each other when it was like, you're getting more than me. Yeah. So... That, that part really frustrated me. Yep. But. 
It's like, ah, if you could work together that way and just understand that your time's coming, but. I know, I know. Slowly, slowly we're, we're doing it. It's just. Yeah, it's the boulder for sure. Keep pushing the boulder uphill. Keep pushing uphill. That's that's my mantra, and I, and I will use that in in when frustrated with work or or just anything. I just keep pushing uphill. Just keep pushing uphill. Yeah. And I uh, get my head down. Don't look. Don't look to see how far it is. Just keep pushing uphill. Keep moving. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, man. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Appreciate you. it. That was an hour. All right. I did not feel like an hour. And there you have it. Another awesome podcast. Uh, appreciate you guys listening to these. And, you know, as always, these trips to Kenya are just pretty amazing. Um, really, really cool how much stuff happened this year without us even knowing that stuff was going to happen. Like a church just showed up. Uh, just there now is one where there wasn't one. And we had no idea that that was going to happen. But very cool. Very good story. So. Uh, my thanks to you for listening. You know, I love you guys. If you want to reach out to me, connect with me, you can do so. Uh, all the social media that's out there, you can connect with me on. That would be uh, Luke underscore Tim on Instagram, at Luke underscore Tim. There's two M's, by the way, in case you're wondering, uh, on Twitter. And then all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com is how you can email me and uh, give me any ideas for show topics, follow-ups, or just want to say, hey, uh, I'd love to hear your email. So, yeah, whatever. Um, as always, appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, until next time, be good.